Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture today is Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Hear the word of God. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the second film of the original Star Wars trilogy, The Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker travels to the planet Dagobah because he wants to apprentice himself to the great Jedi Master Yoda. So after he crash lands on the planet, he meets a little green creature with big ears. And it never even occurs to him that this might be the great Yoda. Because Yoda is not what Luke expected. He's not a mighty warrior. He's small. He seems weak. He is the Jedi Master Luke is looking for, but he's not the Jedi Master Luke is expecting. But as soon as Yoda reveals his true identity, everything changes. Everything shifts. Yoda immediately calls Luke into training. Yoda becomes the leader and director of Luke's life. Luke gets clear on his master's identity and immediately new responsibilities are required of him. We've been looking at the book of Mark, and for the past several weeks, everything has revolved around the question of Jesus' identity. Who is this man? Who is this man who feeds the crowds and heals the sick, forgives the guilty, calms the storms, casts out demons? Who is this man? And now, for the first time, one of Jesus' disciples ventures an answer to that question. And then as soon as Jesus' identity is made clear, he calls his disciples into a new level of responsibility and commitment to his mission. The true task of discipleship begins. My old teacher, Jim Edwards, puts it like this, quote, whenever believers confess who Jesus is, they also and inevitably confess what they must become, close quote. See, getting clear on Jesus' identity gets us clear on the challenge of discipleship. And so that's what we want to explore in this passage today. Um, two challenges that come to us in this passage. First, a challenge to get clear on who Jesus is. And then second, 
a challenge to get going on following him. Get clear on who Jesus is. Get going on following him. Okay, so first, there's a challenge for us to get clear on who Jesus is. Jesus begins with a question. Who do people say that I am? And the answers have been varied. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. As we've gone through Mark, we've seen different groups of people come to different conclusions about Jesus. So the disciples give their answer about what others have said about Jesus. But then Jesus intensifies the question. He says, but who do you say that I am? You see, he's pressing the disciples and us to make our own decision about his identity, to reach our own conclusion, to make our own confession. It's like it's not enough to say, well, I'm part of a family that has reached a conclusion about Jesus, or I'm part of a church that has clarity about who Jesus is, or I'm part of a culture that has eh, vaguely Christian values. No, Jesus makes this very personal. Who do you, who do you say that I am? See, he's challenging us, family, to get clear about his identity. Well, Peter makes a bold confession of faith to Jesus. He says, you are the Christ. Christ, remember, is a Greek word which literally means anointed one. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed. But Peter isn't just saying that Jesus is another prophet, priest, or king. He's saying that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king to which all the others have been pointing. He's the anointed one, which is the same as saying that he's the Messiah. That's Hebrew. He's the Christ. That's Greek. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus accepts the title. It's like, as far as it goes, that's right. But then immediately he begins to teach things about himself that just don't seem to fit with the title Messiah. If we confess Jesus as the Messiah, but our understanding of what it means to be the Messiah is distorted, then we don't have clarity about who Jesus is. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not the Messiah you have in mind. I'm the king you've been waiting for, but I'm not the king you've been expecting. This becomes clear in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Let's look a little more closely at what Jesus is saying here. First of all, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. This was actually Jesus' favorite way of speaking about himself. Son of Man. It's a kind of strange thing to do, right? In general, it's strange when people refer to themselves in the third person. But this specific name is really strange. Son of man. What, is that, what does that mean? What is Jesus doing with this title? We might think he's simply stating the obvious. Like, hey, everybody, I'm the son of a man. In other words, I'm a human being. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Remember, technically, Jesus is a human being, but he isn't the son of a man. So when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, what is he doing? Well, anyone familiar with the Old Testament would have known exactly what he was doing. In the Old Testament book, Daniel, in chapter 7, Daniel has a vision. And here is part of what he sees. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So you heard, you heard 
the phrase son of man, this is a son of man figure and he is divine, right? He's closely related to the ancient of days who is Yahweh himself. And and see, by taking up this title, Jesus has the audacity to say, like, that's that's about me. I'm the king who has given dominion and glory over all the earth. So when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, it's a way for him to affirm that he is indeed the Messiah, but it's also a kind of coded way for Jesus to speak about his divinity. So at this point, if the disciples understand what Jesus is saying, they're probably on board. They're thinking, sweet, you're the son of man, everlasting kingdom, power, glory, strength. This sounds great. This might be even better than we expected. But Jesus isn't finished. He says, the son of man must suffer and be rejected and be killed. And this would have been shocking because to suffer and die is precisely what messiahs do not do. To suffer and die is to prove that you're not the true messiah. Everyone knew that the true messiah would come and defeat evil and injustice and restore peace and righteousness to the world. He can't do that if he's dead. And so when the Messiah comes, he's not coming to suffer and be rejected. He's coming to reign and rule. He's not coming to lose. He's coming to win. That's the whole point. But Jesus has something else in mind. He has let God's word in the Old Testament completely shape the way he understands his role and identity as Messiah. And he's doing something that has never been done before. He's bringing together this passage about the Son of Man from Daniel together with other passages of the Old Testament, um, especially the suffering servant passages of Isaiah. And he's saying that the suffering servant passages are just as much about the Messiah as the Son of Man passages. Before Jesus, no one had ever read those texts like that before. No one thought that the Messiah would suffer and be rejected and die. It was inconceivable that this could happen. And here's Jesus saying, it can happen and it will happen. In fact, it must happen. The Son of Man must suffer. He's saying the Son of Man who will come in glory must be the suffering servant who is rejected and killed. Now look at verse 32. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark, excuse me, this is the first time in in this Gospel that Mark tells us that Jesus spoke plainly. Uh, there are no parables here. He's not speaking in metaphors. There's no hidden meaning. He's simply declaring what must happen. The Messiah will be rejected and suffer and die. And then Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Rebuke is a strong word. Remember, it's what Jesus has been doing to hurricanes and demons. And now Peter is doing it to Jesus. Why is Peter doing this? Here's why. Because if what Jesus is saying is true, it means that Peter is not following the person he thought he was following. You see, Peter thought he was on the way to victory and strength and glory. But Jesus says he's on the way to rejection and suffering and death. Peter thought he was following a winner, and Jesus is saying that the plan is to lose. Peter thought he was heading toward a throne. Jesus says he's heading to a cross. See, Peter wants Daniel 7, and Jesus is living out Isaiah 53. 
The way that Jesus will demonstrate his power and strength and glory is through rejection and suffering and death. He will do it through weakness. He will defeat evil by submitting to it. He will deal with sin by taking sin's condemnation upon himself. Who is it, family, that you think you're following? See, this is the first challenge that comes to us, to get clear on Jesus' identity, to get clear on who Jesus is. Who do you say that he is? The second challenge is to get going on following him. And now we're in a position to see why this is actually a serious challenge. You know, it's not too hard to follow someone you think is leading you to power and victory. It's not a challenge to follow a Jesus who promises health and wealth and political victories. It's not a challenge to follow a Jesus who is deeply invested in helping you achieve your vision of the good life. But the real Jesus does none of that. See, the challenge for us is to get going on following this Jesus. What does that involve? Verse 34 says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Jesus' day, criminals who were sentenced to death by crucifixion were usually required to carry the beam of their cross to the place of their execution. So this is a very vivid image. Jesus is saying, I'm going to a cross, and if you follow me, you're going to the cross. I'm going to die. And so following me means that you're going to die. It's probably not the most strategic way to recruit disciples, right? But that's the way that Jesus does it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let's unpack this a little bit. And first, maybe let's let's talk about what this does not mean, at least not exactly. First, when Jesus says, deny yourself, You know, that's often taken to mean something like Jesus is asking us to deprive ourselves of certain things. So we tend to hear this as being about living a life of moderation or even asceticism. Um, We we think about that in this season especially, right? We talk about giving things up for Lent, going without for Lent. But that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about because he doesn't say deny things. He says deny yourself, and that's deeper. I'll come back to that. Second, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, we tend to hear him say something like, suffer well. Persevere through hardships. Don't let the suffering of life get you down. We hear people who are going through difficult times say things like, well, this is just my cross to bear. And, and so bearing the cross is taken to mean something like suffering and bearing burdens. But again, this isn't really what Jesus is talking about because when Jesus says, pick up your cross, he's not talking about suffering the burdens of life well. Uh, He's talking about death. He's talking about a kind of daily dying that is chosen by the disciple. And so this isn't primarily about denying things and it's not primarily about bearing burdens. What is it about? What does Jesus mean when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? I'm reluctant to say anything um, more just because there's a danger of lessening the offense and the challenge of what Jesus says. I think that in, in um, 
the deepest ways, we need to trust the Spirit to work this out for each of us. What is the Lord calling us to? Um, how is he calling us to take up the cross and follow him? But I think that what Jesus is basically saying is that following him means continually bringing him into the center of our lives, putting him first in our lives, which means continually taking ourselves out of the center, taking ourselves out of first place. And that is a real kind of death. It feels like death because of our self-centeredness and selfishness. It feels like death because our tendency is to look out for ourselves first. Our default mode is to focus inward on ourselves, to be primarily concerned about our own well-being and preservation, to seek our own advancement and success. And following Jesus means laying an axe to the root of this entire way of being and living. You know, my tendency is to think that the most important person in the universe is me, that I'm number one. My priority should be my self-improvement. My life should be about gaining power and influence and authority. The line of my life's chart should be moving up and to the right, better and better each year, more power, more success, more victory. And Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. It's so easy to miss this. It's so easy to turn our discipleship into an endeavor other than taking up our cross and following Jesus. John Stott writes this, quote, We are always in danger of trivializing Christian discipleship as if it were no more than adding a thin veneer of piety to an otherwise secular life. No, becoming and being a Christian involves a change so radical that no imagery can do it justice except death and resurrection. Dying to the old self of self-centeredness, excuse me, dying to the old life of self-centeredness and rising to a new life of holiness and love. Close quote. I wonder, family, how have we trivialized following Jesus? You know, it's possible to have a Christian faith that is full of talking about the cross with very little taking up the cross. The content can be right, but the form is all wrong. We can say all the right things, but still live in ways that just promote ourselves and our own interests. Our theology can be full of the cross, but in our practice, in our actual living, we pursue the way of glory. Too often, far too often, we highlight the cross of Jesus and then we quickly say that he bore the cross so that we don't have to. He suffered so that we can go through life without suffering. He became weak so that we can move onward and upward from strength to strength. He took the road of humility and shame so that we can take the road of glory and power. I mean, some of us maybe became Christians because we thought doing so would help us avoid the cross. And Jesus defines discipleship as suffering and death. Yerslav Pelikan puts it like this, quote, Christ comes into the world to teach men how to die. The purpose of his coming is indeed that they may have life and have it abundantly, but the only life he offers is life through his cross, close quote. It's life through the cross. It's the greatness of being low and last and least. It is power and authority, but it's his power and authority, which means it's ultimately power for humble, self-giving love. 
See, the power Jesus gives us gives is for the daily task of taking up the cross. It's the power to die to ourselves and to put on Jesus. It's the power to put the needs of others before our own. It's the power to embrace weakness and humility. It's the power to serve and to sacrifice, even maybe to the point of suffering and death. Jesus says the way to find your life is to lose it for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. It's Jesus' way of bringing us full circle and showing us that we can only get going on following him after we've gotten clear on who he is. We can deny ourselves and take up the cross only as we see the good news of who Jesus is and what he does for us. And so who is he and what does he do? Family, this is the Lord who lives for us and dies for us. He gives himself to us without reserve. He's the God who denies himself and takes up his cross. What does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what awaits him, praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He's saying to the Father, I don't want a life based on my wants and desires. I want my life to be shaped entirely by your good purpose and plan. It looks like Jesus going to the cross and dying there for us in our place without the slightest bit of selfishness, but simply because he loves us and wants our salvation. Family, if you bring that into the center of your life, it will change you. It will empower you to deny yourself and take up your cross. You'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.